but it's a sad situation, but none of those laws pertaining to adultery or fornication would apply to them. Now, the English adultery, to adulterate something, to alter something, right, is to mess up a marriage situation, to alternate, to change a, a marriage situation where some man is married and some woman is married, and to go and have sex with either or both of them is to mess up the situation. However, that again would only apply if the woman is a virgin when entering into marriage. In this part of the world, unfortunately, that doesn't happen yet. There are some women that are virgins, of course, but it doesn't happen here yet. Now, it's up to you and I to raise women who are Muslim women who are what they call virgins, as the book of Revelation speaks, and are protected from the temptations of Satan, so that they may be that pure nation and that those laws in the scriptures will apply to them. We have drunk of the wrath and fornication of the harlot. We have lived deliciously in her temptations, and thus we have fallen victim to the devil. And we have to face that, that those laws just don't apply to the average person. If you are a virgin yourself, and then someone tries to cover you before you're married without the intentions of marrying you, then that is adultery. That is fornicating. That is violating the law. You understand what I'm saying? If a man has intercourse with the woman before they're married, then if he doesn't marry her, then he turns out to be a whore. You mean a virgin or a non-virgin? Well, it makes a, a difference virgin, in the scripture. A virgin, if a woman is a virgin, right, she has a boyfriend, and, you know, like, they go together and they have intercourse, then they break up, then he sets out to be a whore, right? In the scriptures, what happens if you read the books of Leviticus, you'll find laws pertaining to that. What about she has a baby and she, she's it's not see, married? You got to understand that the things that happen in America just don't happen like that in the East and countries like that. When a woman is betrothed to a man and she's a virgin, this is well thought out. It's not like America where I like your looks, I like your muscles, I like your hairstyle, I like your body, I like your money, I like... It doesn't happen like that. Families get together and they discuss this, they plan this, and a divorce is not as easy as I want out because he hit me or I want out because I don't like this. Or, I want it doesn't happen as easy. That's what I'm trying to say. It's very difficult for us today to make scriptural decisions and we have been living outside of the scripture. We've been living like demons and living, you know, living like heathens and Gentiles, but we're trying to make the scriptures comply to our wants and needs. It doesn't work like that. Now, to the answer to your question, if a man and a woman marry, and a woman was a virgin, and somewhere along the line they break up, what happens in the East is that woman has to go home to her family and live there, and she doesn't even consider remarriage if she has a kid. They don't even think like that. That means that was the man for her, and if he lives in his household or her household amongst the women, and she raised the kids. In America, it's like, he didn't work, let me go get another one. Like, my car broke down, let me go get another one. People in the East don't treat it like that. That is the Christian ethics that did that. And the reason why that happened, you know why it happened? Because the country is ran by Christians, and the man who they consider the founder of Christianity, which they say is Jesus, never got married never had sexual relationships, never got involved in anything that had to do with marital law, and nowhere in his mission was he ever questioned about the laws of Moses pertaining to marriage and divorce. Paul came along after him who had situations and made up his own laws in his 13 books in the New Testament, but nowhere Jesus was being confronted with that. Only he visited a wedding turned water into wine. That's about it. But no one asked him about married life at all. You see, so he never answered it. So the society that you're living in does not even comply to the ancient laws of the Torah. 
that pertain to marriage and divorce. So it's a very same thing. That's why it's necessary for us to set up our own tabernacle, our own community, and then raise our children righteous men, righteous women, and then those laws will apply. You understand what I'm saying? Go ahead. You go ahead. So, so why do you use the uh, Holy Bible and Quran, then, if those laws doesn't pertain to you? The reason why we use the laws of the Holy Quran and the scriptures is because they do pertain to us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the hadith about Jesus. The book me and you should believe in what pertaining to Jesus is the book of Revelation. The other book, and I'll give you an example. Let's turn to Mark, chapter 1. But you read that there says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Now, why is it this book one then? It should be because it says this is the beginning book of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that what? As it was written in the prophets, which of Jesus' disciples were the prophets? None of us. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I ran across a book uh, last week called The Lost Book of the Bible and the Forgotten Books of Eden. And um, I ran across something that was uh, disturbing to me. Um, 
I can't read this in Roman numerals, but it's a chapter about Adam and Eve. It's one of the books that wasn't in the Bible. And um, I ran across something of a prophecy of the coming of Christ. <clears throat> and this is Adam. This is God supposedly speaking to Adam, if I can read this. Again said God unto Adam, all this misery that hath been made to take upon thee because of thy transgression will not set free from the hand of Satan. It will not save thee, but I will. When I shall come down from heaven and shall become flesh of thy seed and take upon me the infamy from which thou sufferest, then the darkness that came upon thee in the cave shall come upon me in the grave when I'm in the flesh of the seed. And I shall, when I'm without years, shall be subject to the reckoning of years, of times, of months, and of days. And I shall be reckoned, reckoned as one of the sons of man in order to save thee. Um, what he is saying to me is that, um, that Allah personified into a man and came down. Right. No problem. You know why? Because I'm looking at a man right now, you, mm -hmm. and Allah is a soul inside your body. You understand that? Allah is in every man. That's why Jesus made a statement. Did I not say ye are God? When they tried to pinpoint him as just a God, they asked him, what's the highest of all the commandments? He said, well, the highest of all the commandments is that the Lord thy God is one God, and you should worship him alone. That was his statement. But when he referred to anybody else in St. John's, he said, I came unto my own people, but my own people received me not. But as many of them that do receive me, I give them the power to be what? Sons of God. When the Pharisees then questioned him about his Godship, he turned and said, is it not written in your law, I said ye are God? So he was not saying that he was the only God personified. He was saying all man who lives righteous has the spirit of the Most High in them or the soul moving them, making them holy. That's why Jesus kept saying, you've got to be born again. You have messed up since your first birth. You've got to be born again and get the Holy Spirit moving inside you again. And that Holy Spirit comes down from where? What did Jesus say? It comes down from heaven. But when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus in the morning, it said the skies opened up an image or like a dove descended down from heaven upon Jesus. And then they heard a voice from heaven saying what? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You see? So it was the spirit that he sent down. But the voice was still in the heaven. That's what the Christians keep missing when they read that section. When it speaks about the skies opening the dove descending, the voice came from the heaven. So if Jesus was on earth and the dove was descending or the likeness of a dove was descending, the voice, who was the voice of whom? Well, Jesus made it very clear in Matthew. He said, our Father who art where? In heaven. And Jesus made it very clear to them in their doctrine of crucifixion, because if he was on the cross, he said, Father, it is over. Unto your hand I send my spirit. Now, if he was the Father, shouldn't he say, well, it is over. Now I will return to heaven. He didn't say that. He's speaking from the first person singular to the second. Father, it is over. Unto your hand I send my spirit. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, so there's nothing wrong with that book. That book is merely saying that when you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. 
when I see you, I see the Father. If you are walking in the Father's footsteps, and if you are obeying the words of the Father, and if you are living by the commandments of the Father, when I see you, I see the Father. The Prophet Muhammad made the same statement. He said, follow my sunnah. Follow my way because I am the best of examples for this day and time. I am the seal of the prophets. Obey me and you're obeying Allah. Love me and you're loving Allah. Which is the same as Jesus. I and the Father are one. When you see me, you see the Father. They said, Ho, oh, you're saying that you are the Father? He said, Is it not written in your law? I said, Ye are God. They said, Then stone him. Anyway. So when you realize who you are and you make the declaration, all of us are the children of the Most High and His Spirit is in us, then people say about Imam Isa, he says he is Allah. I never said I am Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I am one of His sons, one of His children, and His Spirit moves in me because He said He did. He used the word nafakha, to breathe. He said he breathed, he blew his spirit into me, and I became a living soul. He said that. Now, are you going to go against that? I, that's on you. The way I see it, and the way I know you see it, is that all the divine that moves through me, my intuition, my psychic powers, and we all have these sensitivities, because sometimes you get ready to pick up a phone, and someone is there. And you get ready to call John, you get ready to dial his number, you pick up the phone, and John then dialed you at the same time. Or you walk in and say, you know what? I haven't seen my friend Ahmed in about a month. Turn the corner, corner and bump right into Ahmed. That is divine moving in you. Because it ain't no coincidence if it happened more than twice. Coincidence means two incidents. Coincidence. If it happened to you more than twice in your life, then it ain't no coincidence. The divine is moving inside you. And if you channel that divine, nothing can stop you. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If you channel the divine in you and let it grow in you and become born again and let the Holy Spirit move you and live by the will of the Most High, nothing and nobody can stop you. That's what I'm trying to teach. And of course the white man and the devil and his helpers hate that because I'll have black men walking around saying, you know what we are? We are supreme beings. We didn't say we are Allah. We are the supreme beings. As I said a couple of weeks ago downstairs when I was in the class, I said that they go to Egypt and they look at statues all up and down the Nile, don't they? And what do they call them? Gods. They say, these are Egyptian gods. That's Ramses. That's one of your descendants they're talking about. That's Abimelech, one of your descendants. So when the white man is on one of his little excursions to Cairo, fly Cairo for $354, and go from the hotel, and he rides on over to the pyramids, and he sees the Sphinx. Then he goes down into Luxor, and he sees all these massive statues of black men with big lips and nappy hair. And says, these are the Egyptian gods, right? Then he comes back to America, borders in Kennedy Airport, and sees this guy grabbing his luggage and says, look at that nasty nigger. Mm. That nasty nigger, Whitey. Is the same God you was admiring when you was in Egypt. (laughs) You just misplaced him. You just took his soul from him. You You removed his purpose. And you injected drugs and alcohol and bad thoughts and anger and envy and jealous. You removed his dignity. You removed his manhood. How can he stand up and be supreme when you have made him a bum? But I'm going to tell you something, white man. If you stop and listen to a derelict, you hear divine. Mm. 
<laughs> you right about that. If you go right up to the Port Authority and talk to a, a derelict who's mumbling, listen to what that man is mumbling. He's usually saying, they did this to me. I don't know why they picked on me. I trusted in them. I be, didn't you trust him? You trust the white man so much that you worked six days and waited to get paid on the seventh. And they would start working another six days and waiting to get paid on the seventh. You never once said, pay me each day I work. Or pay me before I do the work. No, you did a whole six days. And then he gave you a piece of paper and sent you to a friend of his who put a stamp and made you sign your signature. He gave you some more paper and told you it was worth its weight in gold. Oh, you could identify with gold. Why can you identify with gold? Because you come from Mother Africa, Africa where gold is born. And I, I want to add another chapter to this, which I've said many times. If the Heavenly Father... Are y'all with me? If the Heavenly Father didn't love black people so much, why did he put all of the richest minerals under our feet in Africa and none in Europe? Why is gold and diamonds and onyx and ivory, they got to go to Africa to shoot our elephant brothers, because that's all they are to us. That's how we live with them until Tarzan came. <laughs> A white man, huh? He running around Africa, yeah, right. Catch malaria and die the first week. <laughs> but anyway, in Africa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed gold. If you don't believe me, ask the South Africans. That's why they have apartheid, really. Now, why did Allah chose you to give the gold? He could have put it in Europe. He didn't put it in the Vatican. The Pope ain't got no gold growing under him. He don't think much of Christianity, you know. Because Christians, they never had no wealth. They ain't even had good weather. Nowhere they ever resided was there ever a comfortable environment for Christians. Nowhere. Not even in Utah. But the Almighty, now listen again. He loved you so much. He put the criteria for wealth in the whole world under your feet in Africa. Gold. And you gave it up to be American Negroes. You willfully gave up the gold to serve the white man. Because the slave master came over there and made offers for you, that he's going to give you more money for your labors than you can earn in your own land. <laughs> How can you earn more money than all the gold in the world? Ain't that what he told us? And then we climb on the good ship, Jesus. That's right. <laughs> and end up in America. And has he ever given you a gold? What has he given you in turn? He gave you drugs. He gave you pork. He gave you poverty. He gave you diseases. He gave you the wrong image of yourself, the wrong likeness of yourself. He even changed the name from, from Allah to God. He took away God. He took away language. He took away land. He took away your name. And now he's even taken away your manhood and changed you into Michael Jackson. He hasn't stopped taking. And you know the worst part about it, y'all? You know the worst part? We haven't stopped giving. There's still black people saying, all white people ain't bad, are they? I mean, I know some white people. They, they, I mean, this white guy in school, you know, he, uh, well, you know, when I take this carpool, wait, wait, I was, you know, I was in the hospital very sick and this white, wait, uh, all white people are not bad, are they? 
<laughs> no, no. All lions are not bad either. Just don't wear no meat suit when you're around them. <laughs> what I mean by that is as long as you are a docile, bojangle-type Sunni Muslim saying there's no racism, you never have anything to fear with the white man. He loves Satchmo. He loves Rochester. He loves Sammy Davis Jr. He loves Bed Marine. But he can't stand Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He can't stand Malcolm X. He couldn't stand Marcus Garvey. He couldn't stand Noble Juali. He couldn't stand Clarence 13X. And he can't stand me. And I won't let him stand on me or you if I can help it. You understand? But he loves a smiling, head-scratching, watermelon-eating, even if he's saying he's a Muslim. I'm a Muslim, but white people are okay. Which white people are okay? The Irish? The Polish? The Yiddish? Who? Name one that's okay. Name one that's not responsible in some way or form for going into one of our lands and destroying us. Tell me what the white man has contributed to the upliftment of humanity. Bombs? Genocide? Drugs, manufacturing of drugs? Tell me, brother. Give me a reason to want to like them. Just one. Give me a reason to want to trust them. Just one. Give me a reason to want to live with them. Just one. Give me a reason to want to work with them. Just one. Because I came over here not of my own free will. Because you took me off my goal. Because you wanted it. And I learned to like you. No, 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 better yet, I learned to love you more than I love myself. Because I wanted to look like you. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk like you. I wanted to walk like you. I wanted to live in the houses you live in and go to the clubs you go to and eat in the restaurants you do and laugh at the comedy you laughed at and cry at the sad days and give out hearts on Valentine's Day. I wanted to celebrate the fact that you beat up the Indians and took their land. We call it Thanksgiving. I want to celebrate the birth of your women, the witches in the hollows, and we call it Halloween. I want to eat rats and call it rabbit. I want to eat pork, the filth of the earth. I want to get drunk. I want to stay drugged. I want you to rape my sisters. I want my sisters walking around with mini skirts and extensions of dead people's hair. This is all the things I want from you. I appreciate this, Mr. Whitey. This is the least you can do for us who built America for you. This is the least you could do for people who came and trusted you. We gave you our trust because we are very sensitive people. We gave you our very heart. And right now, there's brothers and sisters still out there trusting the Mr. White Man, going to your schools and getting your education and believing that one day there's going to be some hope because Dr. Martin Luther King said so. They didn't see how he died. Yeah. They didn't see why he died. They seem to have forgotten even when he died. They don't know that he was a peaceful man and you killed him. And Malcolm X was a very unpeaceful man and you killed him. So you didn't kill them for what they said or what they wanted. You killed them for what they were. And that means, black man, that regardless of what you say, whether it's a black Muslim or black Jew or 5% or a Rastafarian or a Pentecostal or born-again Christian or Seventh-day Adventist or a Jehovah Witness 
or Africanologist, whatever you say you are, he doesn't kill you for that reason. He kills you because you are a supreme being. He's killing God every time he kills one of you. He's killing the name of Allah every time he removes one of you. This is what the white man has given you in return for your slave labor. You understand what I'm saying? He abuses you over and over again. And I want to add, I'm as sensitive as any other black man here. And I feel sorry for anybody, Sunni Muslim or Christian or anybody who wants to slide up under the arm of this devil in his leprosy and let him lie to you and tell you what he's going to promise you in the future. We then waited 379 and some more for your Christ to come. We didn't watch the skies. We didn't sung the gospel. We didn't had the seizures. We didn't gave you our money. We foamed at the mouth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit as Paul said so. We went and fought the war for you. We didn't only go to Vietnam. We fought the civil war. You follow what I'm saying? What else do you want from us? And all we ask of you is to recognize our existence and either replace us from which you've taken us or give us the ability to build for ourselves. I don't think that's asking too much after 400 years. Either give us back our motherland Africa and take your little leprous butt on out of there. Mm -hmm. Going back up on that mountain in Europe behind that rope and let that leprosy come upon you again, that hemophilia and your syphilis and your gonorrhea and your herpes, let it all eat you up and leave us alone is just because we are supreme beings that we work off compassion and mercy. We keep forgiving you. We keep forgiving you. I should have realized when Allah didn't want you under the sun that you didn't belong on this planet. Mm. I should have realized that that you're the only people on the planet that can't lay on the beach without fear of dying of cancer. That was man's sign that you were not an earthling. And you didn't come from out of space, otherwise you wouldn't be trying to get up there. You would know how to get up there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. You could have only came from hell, a pit. Because that you know how to do. You know how to dig down. <laughs> so all we're going to do is bind you and put you back in your pit. Let's dance. I got um, two more questions. Um, one, um, the first question is, I went to a um, Dr. Ben uh, lecture, and he made certain, a comment about Moses, uh, how he got the Ten Commandments. And he said that Moses lived in Egypt all his life, and that the Egyptians recited the 42 negative confessions which was partial of the uh, Ten Commandments, and uh, that he didn't get it from the burning bush, that he studied in Egypt, and he was a high priest, and that's how he got it. Could you uh, clarify that? <clears throat> sure, it's quite simple. You know what's wrong with <laughs> my good brother, Dr. Ben? What's that? He's been talking to the wrong kind of Muslim. He's been talking to misinformed Muslims. Well, he said that he got his research... Uh, from being in Africa. 
Right. And I've seen him there yeah. on, his, on his excursions and his tours. Yeah. And don't knock it. But what he's missing is this. Bismillahi ar-Rahmani ar-Rahim. Anybody can turn their Quran to this if they want. Chapter 2, verse 136. That's Moses. That's Jesus. This quote is saying, it's talking, first of all, to all Muslims from Muhammad, alayhi salatu wasalam. Say this, Muslim, I have my faith by way of Allah, billahi, and wa ma wat unzila was sent down Elena to us. This is talking about the Quran. Okay? Wala and what Unzila Elay was sent down to Abraham. If you ask a Muslim, what book was sent down to Abraham, the average Muslim don't know about the Sahos. They don't have that kind of knowledge. They just go the Quran. <laughs> and that's that we've already passed the Quran. This book says something was sent down to Abraham, a revelation. Okay? Wa Ismail and, and Ishmael, Wa Ishaq and Isaac, Wa Yaqub and Yaqub, Wa Asbat and the tribes. That ends that. What was sent down to you, meaning the Quran, and what was sent down to Abraham, the Sahuf, and to Ismail, his son, Ismail and Isaac, who both had the revelation of the Sahuf, and Jacob and the tribes, meaning the tribes of Israel. And Ishmael and the tribes of Midian, the Midianites. Then it says, and Wama Utiya, what was given to Moses, because these were pre written tablets and given to him, as opposed to the coming down like this inspiration that came to Muhammad. And what was given to Jesus. And it was written, received by John, son of Zebedee, the book of Revelations, and then given to Jesus. That's why I used the word given. Then it says, and what was what? Given to the prophets from their sustainers. This is the key. We have covered the major prophets that we're talking about here. We're covering everybody from Abraham to Muhammad. You understand? And all those books in between would be inclusive, which would cost include the Sabor of Daud and his father Suleiman, the word Nebuchadnezzar. If we go back to Genesis of the Bible, will find that Noah had sons. And from Noah's son came Cush and a man named Mizraim. Mizraim was where they get the word Mizraim, which is the Arabic equivalent to the Hebrew Mizraim for Egypt today. Mm-hmm. Egyptos, we know, is a Greek word meaning burnt or black faces. That don't belong there. All right? So the descendants of Noah, who was a prophet and who received revelation, and who also had the books of the Sahuk of Enoch and Adam and Abraham and Seth, mm-hmm. took their books and went into Egypt with them, way before the writing of Unkenuntin Psalms. Now, those Egyptians are of the family of Noah. And the scripture says, Noah was perfect in his generation, and the Lord found favor in him and his seed. You see? 
told the Egyptians that are writing these Psalms and Proverbs, like Unkin Unkin and them, they were part of the Nebuna. They were prophets. And just like there's things in the Quran that match what's in the Torah, and there's things in the New Testament that match what is in the Old Testament, and there's things in the Psalm that match what's in the Torah and the New Testament, Old Testament and the New Testament, the writings that came out of Egypt will match what Moses said because Moses was influenced by the Egyptians, educated by the Egyptians, and brought the same information that came from the Sahor which was the source of the descendants of Mizraim, who were descendants of Noah, and under the same covenant of Abraham, from the same creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those the books of the prophets that they're talking about here, and those were sacred scriptures that was in Egypt. So Moses did use portions of them, as well as have his own revelation, because in that case, everything he received would have to come from that one tablet, and it didn't. Portions of that tablet are found in the five books of Moses, the same way portions of the Torah and the Injil are found in the Quran. So there is no difference. It's the same, tell Dr. Ben, it's the same family. They are all Noah's descendants. It's the same book. The Egyptian pharaohs who believed in Tawhid, which is the unification of Allah's deity, oneness, were prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they're the same one. That's why the Pharaoh, as they call the Pharaoh in the Quran, converted to Islam as opposed to the way it was left unexplained in the Torah. Okay? Okay, I can understand that. I, I, I can relate to that. Uh, it's one more question, and then I'm just going to sit down. Um, <clears throat> this, this lost books of the Bible and forgotten books of Eden, I don't understand why they were left out of the Bible or the Torah. All right, let me go again. <laughs> Come on, this is, don't go nowhere. I might need you. <laughs> All right. Here's why. What happens again is here we are in New York City, United States of America, looking at King James versions of the Bible. When the Quran was revealed to Muhammad, alayhi salatu wasalam, there was no such thing as the Bible you hold in your hand. You see? There was no such thing as repeat, King James. that again. I didn't, I, there was no such thing as a Bible that you hold in your hand, a King James version of the Bible. The Bibles that they had back in his time was the Catholic Bible. If you go to a Catholic Bible today, you'll find it has more than 66 books in it. They have other books, the books of Maccabean, etc. If you go back to the ancient Torah, they had even more books. What I'm trying to say is that there are many books written by many saints who are not necessarily prophets. But getting just interrupt you for one second. I mean, I got all the stories of Adam and Eve that I never even read in the Bible. I mean, right. the journeys, the, uh, the sins, they that's, did more sins. That's right, more things written by... So why, was that, why was that excluded from the because, Torah? Because the Torah, the word Torah means Pentateuch. Or law, right? No, yes. But it refers to, it means Allah in Hebrew, law. What refers to Pentateuch, which comes from Penta, which means five. The law of Moses was no more than the first five books. That was the law. All those other books are books of other prophets. Some of them, certain sects of Jews accepted, and some of them, they didn't. The same way today in Islam, you have Shiaism and Sunnism. Sunnis accept certain hadith, and Shia accept other hadith, and they're both about the same man, Muhammad. 
Now, in later times, here we come with another sect called the Ahmadiyya. And they pick and choose from both Sunni and Shia Hadith and create their own school of thought. So you get all these schools of thought. Now, as time passes on, certain people have more books that they believe in of the Hadith than others. The only text that is authentic in this case is the Quran. The only text that is authentic in that case is the five books of Moses. All these other books are books of other prophets. Depending on the schools of thought of the rabbis, they decided which books they would and which books they didn't. You're in one country that has been invaded by a certain kind of Jew and a certain kind of Christian, so you're subject to go by their selection of the books. So you hold up the King James Version with its 66 books and say, where did these other books go? If you was in the Jerusalem there and you held up the Jerusalem Bible, it would have other books. If you was amongst the Russian Orthodox Christian, they would have other books written by saints that they knew and monks that they knew. You yeah, follow what I'm saying? I do understand to a degree, but what I'm saying is, is that this is Genesis. I mean, if you're going to write about Adam and Eve, why would they exclude the whole thing of Adam and Eve from, from, uh, they didn't. from the trend? They didn't. What is true about Adam and Eve is found in the Torah. Scholars and rabbis wrote their own parts and called them other scriptures. Wow. What is true is the five books of Moses. That's what he received. And all of them recognize that and the 613 commandments. So this book in my hand is not... It's not no, it's writings of men. So this, that, this is like Hadith. That's exactly what it is. Exactly. And then you have to decide how much of it you want to accept. Or will you go by the vein of it all, which is the Torah? Or do you go by, as I say, the vein of Islam, which is the Quran? Or do you listen to a whole bunch of men who want to be like Allah, who want to be like the Prophet, and they start opinionating on his life and exaggerate it? They want to make every prophecy in the New Testament fit the Old Testament. And now Muslims come along and they want to make everything Jesus did look like what Muhammad did. So they start writing miracles and stuff that don't even make sense in, my, in scientific sense, terms or in common sense. Just to make Muhammad look as great as Jesus. And they wanted to make Jesus the greatest of all, so they took every prophecy in the Torah they could and made it match him. You know what I'm saying? I this do. is the working of men. And we're supposed to be able to work our way around them. <laughs> Thank you very much. Shukran. Assalamu alaikum. Um, I have a statement, and I guess it's a question too. But um, what I want to know is, when I first came in, we were talking about the Nubians, and um, I noticed that a lot of times when we talk, we talk about how black people is majority of people all over the whole planet, and that um, this group of black people, okay, like Orientals and, and Spanish people. And black people, we're all black people, we're all Nubians. Um, and I don't have any problems with that. But what, what bothers me sometimes is how when people talk about all the different races of Nubians and they put, put us all together, how to me it seems like black Americans get neglected. You know, they get like lost in the shuffle. And I notice how some... Black people try to make other Nubians um, worse off than Black Americans, and I don't, I don't feel that way. And I don't. Let me ask you a question. Okay. You don't think Spanish Harlem is, is in a bad condition as Upper Harlem? That's not what I'm saying. Just ask the question. 
Do you think that the Latino brothers in this country and sisters are getting treated as bad as we are? Yes. How about the new stock of Orientals? Not the Koreans who they've given stores to. I'm talking about in Chinatown where they now have gangs and ghettos and, and, and derelicts. See, what I'm saying, I don't have any problems with any of that. Okay. I, I can relate to all, <laughs> all of that. Right, go ahead. You know, but the point that I'm trying to make is that sometimes when black people push it away from black Americans and they start talking about other black nationalities, they seem to forget about their own problem. And I think that the problem of black Americans needs to be dealt with first well, listen to before this. that you could really... Let me, let, me, let, me, let me add something. Okay. In Mother Africa, as it's called by people, I hate to use the word Africa because they're not Africans, they're Libyans, but people won't know what you're talking about if you don't say Africa. Right. Okay? But in Mother Africa, like Ethiopia, their conditions are worse than mine and yours. Mm-hmm. And they are us. Right. In Sudan, they're suffering, droughts. Their conditions are worse than ours, right? Right. So in reality, shouldn't we put attention on helping them? They're in a worse condition than we are and then get to ourselves? I'm just asking. Just a question. Okay. I just feel like we need to help ourselves first before we try to help anybody else. But that is ourselves. Those are our, that's, that's, yeah, that's Mother Africa. That is ourselves. And if your roots die, then the whole tree dies. I, and I agree with that. But if we don't help ourselves first, then how are we going to be able to help somebody else? Because we have two pieces of bread right now, and they have none. So if we just give them one, we both will raise up to the same level and then make the working force stronger to move to the third level. But if we eat both pieces of bread so we'll get strong enough to help them, masses of them in the millions will be dead. And they'll never be there when we come back to help them. See, they're dying literally of starvation on the streets in Ethiopia, in Somali, in uh, Sudan. People are dying of starvation. By the time we get ourselves together, and you will probably know already, they like the white man, they like working for him, they like the way he treats them. It's going to take time to shake this hair thing. You know how many brothers and sisters in Mother Africa are going to die this year while we're getting it together? So being me and you are healthy, and our brain works, and we have two slices of bread, I say, let's share one slice of bread and bring our brothers who are dying to a point where they won't die at least because the South African condition is just going to get worse. I think that we need to make some concentrated effort to do something about the condition of the people in the Sudan from which we came as Nubians before we let them die. The white man will let our mother country die. If all of then go in, bring Christianity, and then you won't be any good to the people over there. Because you try to go to Africa and convert an African back to Islam after he accepted Christianity, you like talking to a brick wall. Because the white man brought with him the Red Cross and food. He didn't bring no machinery so they can become independent. He brought grain and rice and beans and clothes and the Bible and a white Jesus. And that man starts to look like their savior. Though he saves them in one respect, he murders them in the next. But he's doing the same thing to us over here, and if we can't get it together over here first, how will we be able to see those pitfalls over there to help anyone over there? Right, I just don't right. understand how we are going to be able to help. Okay, I'll tell you how. I By joining together and working together. We in the Ansar Law community, have you seen our latest newspaper? You can see what we're doing on the inside. Right. We are building. 
So we don't consider ourselves as doing bad. Or our problem is convincing more of our own with qualifications to come. We need our own gynecologists, dermatologists, ophthalmologists, pediatricians. We need our own shoemakers, hat makers, tailors, seamstress. We need our own everything. But black people rather be on the outside of a of a working community and talk about what they heard take place in here than to come in here and find out for themselves and help us build. They'd rather go to some dude named Abdul from Queens who says, I used to be there and I heard they do this and I heard they do that and he still lives in the project. Yeah. You know He's still on welfare. But they won't come on the inside here and work out with us and start because the more y'all come in, the stronger we get. The more you bring in, the more we have to produce and the more black people we reach. But as long as you're on the outside looking in, you can't see the power of the Ansar law growing. Because we're spending so much time trying to get y'all to come in and join that we, y'all, are not seeing what we have here. We are, very, we are a very advanced community. I mean, from computer technology straight on out. Don't you see the books coming out like, bam, yeah. bam, bam. How sophisticated, how do they look? Yeah, they look good. But see, that's, good. that's the exact point that I'm making. Well, you know, okay. I can see the Ansars doing this from the inside out uh-huh. and how you're trying to bring everybody in. And um, I'm coming across the same type of problem when I'm out in the community trying to talk to other people about the Come on home and let me do the talking. I talk better than you. Yeah, you do. You talk let, better let me do it. Come on that's home it. and help me from the inside by typing some of these books and laying out these things and raising these black kids so they don't get that, you know what you saw on television earlier? So they don't get that image of white supremacy in their mind. And let me, I obviously was raised up to do the talking. Because one thing I do good is talk. <laughs> so I, give I, that to, I give that to you, Imam Issa, but you can't be everywhere at one time. I can be everywhere at one time. That's why they have international media. That's why right now, while I'm talking here, they're listening to me in Philadelphia and in Chicago and in Trinidad and in Barbados and all over the world because we can do that now. And the bigger we get, we'll, then eventually we will satellite it. And not only will they be listening to me, they'll, they'll be looking at me and they'll be able to ask questions at one time. And then when I step down, I got five grown sons all speaking Arabic ready to come in. I'm not alone. I'm not going to make the same mistake other leaders make. I'm grooming my sons to step in where I step down. You follow? And they are sharper than I am. So if they think they got a problem with me, they ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> okay? okay. But my thing is, my people won't support me. The people wrote a book about me and created a bunch of lies, and I answered the book, and you still didn't come home. Still on the outside talking in. They said, he did this, he does this, he did this, he was born here, I know the truth, I know this. I said, well, here, here's facts, here's the proof, here's pictures, here's dates, here's mathematics, here's the quote. And y'all are still outside saying, one day I'm coming in. What do I have to do to make you realize it? So you know the next thing I'm doing? I'm writing a book. And it's called 360 Questions to Ask an Orthodox Sunni Muslim. It has about 900 questions in it or more. But we say 360. You know why? Why? Because I'm saying to you people now, if you don't believe that I am the one that Allah has raised up from the east unto the west to reform you, then take this book out there and ask anybody to answer these questions. And when they can't, and they can't, then I will. And then if you still don't join in, then you deserve whatever the white man does to you. 
Okay. If after this book gets out there and you start asking their white Arab friends and their red Arab friends, what is this and where is this and how is this? And they say, I don't know. The only thing they're going to say is he's crazy, he's anti-Islam, he's not a Muslim. He say, yeah, beside all that, answer this question. Right. Yeah. So Imam Issa, all right, like for example, right now you're talking to me and you're talking to this group of people that's here and um, all those other places that you just named. But when we all leave from here, and when this here um, finishes being broadcasted or whatever, and you get into individual conversations with people that have never stepped foot over here, don't know what an anti community is, don't understand their blackness, don't want to relate to Africa, don't want to relate to Islam, don't even want to relate to the fact that they're black, period, you know, and they think that they're better than some of the other black brothers and sisters you know, and you are not there. Right, right? but listen to and this. I have to talk to these yeah, people. Yeah, but you don't have to do that. You know why? Because why? if you were here and 100,000 more of you were here, we would intimidate the white man so much that he'll start telling Uncle Remus and how he really feels about them. The problem is there's still somebody for the white man to reason with and to talk to. There's still Negroes still going to lunch with him and hanging out with him. If everybody was in here and this, this community would start to expand across Bushwick, on down to Bedford Stuyvesant, and they'd be seeing white veils and white robes and us moving and patrolling all over the place, our own businesses, then those black people out there will become the object of the joke. The white man will turn on them because of you, because that's what they need. They need to turn around one day and see the white man for what he really is. They're afraid to because they got a job. You understand? Me and you got to do that by becoming so, such a strong force that everywhere they look, they see one of us. Mm-hmm. And then when they see a Negro who don't look like one of us, he wants to ask them, then what are you? Mm-hmm. Why right. haven't you woken up? Everybody else is awoke. Right. Right. That's the only way to do it. I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. There's that sister across, the, across town now in the Albany Project sitting on the second floor and saying, I ain't getting caught up in all that old black stuff. Yeah. She will have no choice when we are providing food, clothes, shelter, and as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad so clearly put it, which will breed love, peace, and happiness. When they see a healthy community for their kids. We have Arabic classes now here for people on the outside. Sisters, come here and bring their kids. Right? Right. right. We are building the nation from the inside and the out now. There is no more excuses. Okay, I'm not making it. No, no, not you. Oh, not okay. you. I'm talking about those people out there. They have no excuses. The gates are open. You understand? You can be outside and participate inside. Study your Arabic. Bring your system, your, your kids here. Bring your wives here. Sisters, teach them Arabic. It's all laid out for you. Now, if they don't respond, lakum, dinukum, waliyadim. To them be their judgment and us be ours. Because then we're entitled to get what the white man gives us. And we don't see the opportunity. Anybody can see is what the Ansarlah community is doing is working. Because I was impressed this morning because I listened to a sister who came in the mic. I think she's the first sister. You know what was most impressive about what she was doing? She kept saying the Amorite, the Amorite. She wasn't saying the white man. And the white man hears her in college saying the Amorite, the Amorite. You know what he says? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. They know who we are now. We're no longer lily white and pure and clean like Mr. Clean. We are the Amorites. Mm-hmm. Then she'll start saying the Canaanites, the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, she even knows we have the curse. Mm-hmm. That means Ansar-Law is moving. Mm-hmm. The Nubian nation is on the move. Yeah. What does Adam look like, y'all? Yeah. What does Isaac look like? Yeah. Abraham. Yeah. Moses. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Muhammad. Yeah. You. Yeah. We're on the move. 
Our flag is flying high. We're doing good. All we got to do is come together and work outward like a nucleus and keep multiplying themselves. And like the, like the brother said, and there ain't in, in plain, simple black language, and there ain't no stopping us now. All right. You in blue. You took too long. You were so busy worrying about my brother Minister Louis Farrakhan and how to stop him. And you were so busy worrying about my friend in Florida, Yahweh Ben Yahweh, and imprisoning him. You overlooked the real one. That's why they said he's going to come like a thief in the Amen. night. I was here all the time when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was here just waiting my turn. I was just sitting in the wings waiting the shot, waiting for the day. And now the day has come. Yeah. Truth has arrived. False things will perish. The reformer is here. Amen. Not is coming. Is here. And I will reform. And the first means of reformation is to get those white images out your head and get the dignity and the identity of a supreme being back in there. So you walk straight up, nose straight and proud to be who you are. Get your garbs on, women. If you ain't going to put no veil on, put a long skirt on. Cover your bodies up. Get ready. Start to read Arabic. Start to get it. Forget them African study courses. Because they know about some Uncle Tom, in most cases, got a white wife, like the sister said. The guy in charge of the African organizational club got a white girlfriend. Still love the white man. They can't break away from the slave master. He's one pushing the crumbs off the table on the floor for them to eat. That's what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught. But no, 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 no. You know how the you know he said, come forth, Lazarus. You were in a tomb. Rigor mortis had already set in, brothers and sisters. You have been mentally dead for a long time. And I'm saying to you, like Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus. And I ask the Lord, Subhanahu to give me the strength to resurrect you from the mental dead. Come forth, Lazarus. Come to life everlasting. Join amongst your own and build the Nubian nation. Then we have the option to either go home or make this our home because it doesn't belong to either me or the white man. It belongs to the Indian. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, I understand what you're saying. But we, got, we, can't, we can't let them make us get discouraged and stop believing because without faith, there's no hope. And I see, and I know you see, when you walk the streets, see people in pendants. And now we got jackets out. We're trying to put anything out to keep the name going across. And with the name Nubian Nation, Nubian Nation, they're like the brother standing, a couple of people got the flag with the unk. He got a couple of symbols on his chest. But in the midst of there is that flag, black, red, and green. And I'm not saying red, black, and green. We didn't make no mistake. We didn't say red, black, and green. We're saying black, red, and green. And when you see people say, we're not wearing no doggone Jamaican flag. So take off the yellow and the green because that was given to you by the white man. We're wearing black, red, and green. And the reason why black is first and not red is because the red on the flag symbolizes blood. We do not, I repeat, we do not intend to bleed again. So we have removed the black and put the black first and put the red second. Because you will not do to us what you've done as, now, let me go back and make something clear. Do you know that when brothers join into Sunni Islam, that they're back in the slave trade? 
See, it was the Arabs that sold you into slavery. So now if some brother in America accepts money from one of those organizations, money for blacks in America, he is now becoming John Hawkins. He's receiving money to sell you back under their rule so you can back their philosophy on Islam. Don't you see that if the brother Bilal Phillips gets paid to try to make us unite with them, it's another form of the slave, the Arab slave trade? If the brother Siraj Wahaj is trying to get money to build a mosque on Bedford, then they're going to send into them their kind of teachers with their kind of doctrine, and they're going to be back in an Arab slave trade. And I got, we all got to pray that Minister Louis Farrakhan does not get tempted by that beast and fall victim to, fall victim to him. Right. And also, keep praying for me. If they don't also get me. I'm not saying that he's no weaker than I am or no stronger than I am. The devil is busy. I have no intentions of talking to him. So it's going to be real difficult for him to convince me to do anything. Because I don't want to go to their meetings. I don't want to meet them. I don't want them to ask me for nothing. And I don't want nothing from them. You can be assured, I'm going to say, get lost. Y'all got people worshiping the Kaaba and adoring the Kaaba and kissing the black stone and throwing rocks at brick figures and saying that they're throwing rocks at the devil. Ain't no more religion of Abraham over there. You got the religion of the pagan Arabs there. And I'm not going to adhere to that. And they said the sun will rise in the West. You are the sun. You are rising in the West. You may not speak Arabic well, but you know what the prophecy said? Hear and obey, even if a man is an Ethiopian. And Ethiopians were not speaking Arabic. You are the Savior. You are the body of Christ. Do you understand? This may sound like what, what Warab D. Muhammad said. He said it, but he didn't understand it because he wasn't listening to his father. You are the body of the Christ. You are the resurrection. You are the truth. You are the light. You understand that? And all you got to do is get prepared like a bride for the groom, and the Messiah will return for you. That's all you have to do is get prepared. Get in your bride's gown. And the women, even in Christianity, they told you when you get married to put on a veil. They don't know nothing about the veil except for when they come to marriage, then they throw on a little veil and say it represents purity and virginity. Well, it also represents what's sent in the book of Revelation where Jesus said the, the end of the world is like the marriage supper of the Lamb. You read that before? It said you got to be prepared like a bride, preparing yourself for that. Well, that veil is part of it. I know you're pretty. I know you don't want to cover your face. But covering your face is unveiling your heart. You understand that? And what I mean by covering your face is unveiling your heart. That means when you cover your face, people have to judge you by your heart, not by your looks. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew what he was talking about and knew what he was doing. Cover your face and unveil your heart. Because an uncovered face and a sealed heart is the works of the devil. That's another planet. How were the pyramids built? What race was Adam and Eve? And was the Holy Quran made up by Muhammad? Or was it a divine scripture sent from the Most High? And what is the difference between the spirit and the soul? The answer to these questions can be found in the most dynamic books in history, authored by Asaid al-Imamisul Hadi al-Mahdi. 
These books can be purchased at the original Classic Theater, 719 Bushwick Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11221. Would you like to see the man behind the voice you hear teaching the total truth? He is there at the Hall of Knowledge, located at 548 Hart Street, Brooklyn, New York. Every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m., the Nubian Islamic Hebrews would like to invite you to question and answer classes with Sayyid Ali Mam Isal Hadi Mahdi. Come listen and learn. Hear the words of truth for yourself. Hear the answers to long-awaited questions. Also for your spiritual growth, an intricate design woven prayer rug designed by the hand of Sayyid Ali Mam Isal Hadi Mahdi. Also available are prayer beads, incense, and oils. If you would like any further information on these items, contact the original test of Kidar, 719 Bushwick Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11221. And be sure to ask for a listing of the most dynamic books in history, authored by Sayyid Ali Marisa Hadiyah Mahdi. Now let us continue with the true light. Remember, you are the light, and you have the power over all things. When Jesus, the Messiah, son of Mary, was told that it's time for him to die, he said, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass by me. Not at my will, but that thou will be done. He weakened. And he said, What? My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Like Jonah, he did not want to go on to Nineveh. Nineveh was somebody of a place to go to a place. But in Jesus' life, it meant going on. Jesus didn't want to do it. So, Jonah was swallowed by Quraysh. The word Quraysh really means a big fish. He was by the whale. And there he died or lived. Tell me. Did he die or live while in the world? Huh? Was he alive in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights or was he dead? Oh, you know? He was alive three days and three nights. Jesus, as they say, went to the cross. And then they changed the prophecy that he made of his liking himself to Jonah and said he died. Instead of completing the story of the life of Jonah and say for three days and three nights, wherever he was, he had to have been alive. Because he likened himself to the prophecy of Jonah, and Jonah was alive for three days and three nights in the early of the well. So wherever Jesus was, if he can get into or we won't, he was alive for three days and three nights. The only miracle that he was supposed to have performed was liking himself to Jonah. You follow him, gentlemen? However, Muhammad, on the other hand, his most profound miracle was who he was. Now you tell me the greatness of a man. I raise my hand and I materialize the object in front of me. And 20 men follow me. Well, he just sit down and talk about a law. And 20 men follow you. Which man appears to have the most deeds? The one who raises his hand and materializes an object and gets 20 men to follow him, or the man who sits down and talks about a law. Without materializing anything and gets 20 men to follow him. Which man appears to have the strongest power? Huh? Can you tell me? Of course, the man who did not materialize anything. Thank <laughs> you. 
Let everyone in the listening audience grab their scriptures, a pencil, and a piece of paper. Listen and learn the true meaning of the Old and New Testament of the Bible, the stories of David, the Lost Book, and the Holy Quran. There are no more secrets. All false things will perish. So come and learn the other beautiful teachings of the only man that has the answers to the problems of a troubled world. As Sa'id, Al-Mahisa, and Hadi al نشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله والي الكريم وصلى الله على أنبياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحسي والمجدد لنا المرسلين All we want to bear is a witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it and that he is alone and has no part and that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universes. All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend, and send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles and on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God, and on the Mujahid, the Reformer, which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. And now, the true light featuring Israel and Mama Isa al Hadi al Mahdi. The other question is that AIDS is a sexual transmitted disease and is visited upon the black, the white, or particularly who is AIDS here for? It's a world. I think that when blacks start thinking that it's not for them, they have a serious problem. When blacks start thinking because they're black that they're Except from the sin. The sin of it comes from Leviticus. If you go to Leviticus chapter 20, in the 31st verse, it tells you where the sin comes in. It reads, If a man also lies with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. They shall be put to death. Their blood shall be upon Deuteronomy 28, 17, Judges 19, 22. What are we talking about here? When we say that a man should not lie with mankind, we're saying one man should not lay up with another man as if he's laying up with a woman. Homosexuality is a sin, punishable by death, according to the scriptures. And the sin, the Lord says, will be in the blood. Now, how is AIDS transmitted mostly, not by sexual contact any longer, moreover, by blood transfusion? And what sin did it come from? This sin goes all the way back to when Canaan looked upon the nakedness of his father, goes to the same chapter, chapter 18, 
of Leviticus. And the Lord, or the sustainer, said unto Musa, alayhi salatu wa salam, Moses, saying, Speak unto Bena Israel, speak to the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am Adonai Elohim, or Yahweh Elohim. I am the Lord thy creator. Alright? Now what did he say? After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. Don't do the things that you learned while you was in Egypt, Israel. Don't act where those people did not have any laws for male and female homosexuals. Don't forget that Caesar and Mark Anthony and them, homosexuals from Rome, homosexuals from Greece, invaded and mixed into the culture. And in fact, when you look at the average Egyptian today, when you look at light skin or male Egyptian, you're not looking at the original Eswanese, you're not looking at the original Nubians, you're looking at Greek invasions. When you look at most of the men reciting the Quran today from Jephthah Bassett who have mixed their genes, they have mixed with Greeks. And Greeks are no homosexual society, historically. Don't pick up the things or the habits that you learned while you were in Egypt and the and after the doings of the land of Canaan. And don't pick up the things that you learned when you lived with those Canaanites who also indulge in all forms of bestiality, having sex with animals in caves and such. Then it goes on. Whether I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinance. Don't keep their ways. Don't walk in their ways. Go ahead. You shall do my judgments. And keep my ordinance. You shall do what I pass off as law, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and you shall walk in my way, Sunnati, to walk therein. I am the Lord thy creator. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord thy creator. Seal, he makes a statement. Then he goes on to tell you what not to do. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him, to what? To uncover their nakedness. Uh-huh. I am the Lord thy creator. If you go back to Genesis 9, go back to Genesis 9, instead of going to 25, go to 425. Let's say Genesis 9:22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. Now, it's not more, salam, have near of kin, and was it not forbidden, according to Leviticus 18, for him to look upon the nakedness of his father to uncover him? Verse what it says after that. Or before it, in fact, tells you he uncovered it. It's still in Genesis. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And what did they do? And Sham and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of the father. Notice that they came in and they covered North's body. Why did they do that? Why didn't they just make fun of it or make a joke out of it or entertain wicked thoughts? This was a part of the law, the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the book of Leviticus, because it's set in position after the book of Genesis, that is not how it was revealed. You follow? So now go on and see what he says. None of ye shall approach to any that is near akin to him who uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. Adonai. 
I am the creator of it all. He makes a sin for men to look at naked bodies of other men. And especially for the near of kin, for one man to look at another man's body. For Ham to have been before his father naked, he should back in not looking and did what his other brothers did, covered up his nakedness. Go on and see what it says. The nakedness of thy father, or the nakedness of thy mother, shalt thou not uncover. She is thy mother. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. You see? This is the same quote that if we continue on into it, will tell you that it is a sin. This is 18. Go back to 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself. In Egypt, men and men slept together. And in Canaan, they slept with animals, with beasts. Bestiality. So here in Leviticus, it's giving you the format that they gave you in the beginning of Leviticus chapter 18, where they told them, and after the doings of the land of Egypt, which is like 22, for man not to lie with another man as if a woman. And then it says, the doings of the land of Canaan. And then watch the next one says, neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there too. It is confusing. So it tells you that when the Amorites or the Jebusites, original type of Canaanites, was in the mountains, they laid with beasts. Like we've said, these theology, the Bible says it. And when in Egypt, the people of ancient Egypt who got influenced by the Greeks performing all forms of homosexuality. Then he goes on to tell you that this is a sin. And as we read on, what does it say? Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these, the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. See that? And who are the nations that he cast out before you? The sons of Canaan, whom they took out of the land of Canaan. Right? But he right. says in Genesis 24, he says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Okay. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that rule over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand upon thy thigh. Thou in Huku, which is a symbol of humbleness. And then what did he say? And I will make thee swear by the sustainer, the creator of the heaven, and the creator of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. You hear that? He was telling him not to marry amongst the Canaanites, but to marry amongst his own family. Not to mix thy seed with the Canaanites. Go to Genesis chapter 28, verse 1. And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Again, he is telling the family of Abraham, not to marry into Canaan. But we have brought these plagues and diseases, sickness, gonorrhea, herpes, and now the spread of AIDS because they're violating the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his statutes and his standards. We're indulging in all forms of homosexuality. We're indulging in all forms of bestiality, fornication, abomination, and we're bringing the wrath down upon ourselves. Don't let a homosexual tell you that nowhere in the scripture has it been declared that it's a sin to be homosexual. I just read to you in the book of Leviticus where it says it is a sin for a man to lie with a man. This is a sin. This is where AIDS is It's not just sexually transmitted. 
Your world is at a point where it's about to destroy itself, and all you have to think about is the next record you're going to buy, the next party you're going to go to. You may learn get in here and learn that Arabic language and learn how to pray and be transform yourself from mortals to immortals and stop jiving because you don't have the time you think you have. You better stop wasting time. The spirits are descending. There's demons walking the earth with you every day. They just call themselves punk rockers and another but demons incarnate. They don't put on that makeup. That's how they look. I'm serious. They didn't put the thoughts in white kids' heads so they can start their hair up in the end, all kind of weird things, so you won't know they're real demons from kids emulating them. A serious thing out there. They spread diseases. I'm telling y'all that there is no cure for diseases of death. Men in that room know what I'm talking about. Especially you men who can't control yourself. It sees every woman as somebody you should lay up with. They got diseases out there that will kill you dead. You know the sad thing about it? Every woman you meet, you don't know who she laid up with. If this ain't the same woman you've been on for seven years, you take a chance. But she don't know if the guy she was laying up with was a homosexual six years ago and became a man because you saw the right movie. You don't know. And this is what you're left out there to marry. And I go for the women also. You don't know which one of those guys was a, a homosexual six years ago and now an age starts, he straightens up. He was a closet princess six years ago. Now all of a sudden he's macho man. You don't know if he got AIDS living inside his system. Do you? Do you know? Only people you can count on are the people that you've been laying up with for six years. And how old would that make the average one of you brothers? How old? If you have the same woman for six years, the average one of y'all would be at least in his late 20s, correct? Correct. You should be at least. Anybody under that, you better be careful. And they ain't even trying to find a cure for it. Don't fool yourself. Because they created it. AIDS didn't fall out the sky. AIDS was created. AIDS is a conspiracy. During warfare, they got loose. You wasting time. I don't know what to say behind that. No, um, my, my question uh, relates to uh, chronology in the Bible. And uh, I'd just uh, like you to clarify some of the, um, uh, the dates regarding BC, AC, ACD, BCE, and uh, things of that nature. Oh, and the other thing is, uh, where when they quote a date and they and they say BC, they say they'll they'll write uh, 1056 or one one zero five six, and as the numbers descend, it's my understanding is getting closer to the what they call the AD era. Now, just for uh, for clarification, really, I mean, how how do we decipher? How do I decipher these uh, uh, these dates and, and, and get a clear understanding of what's happening here with this BC, uh, AD, ACD, and so on? And so what the Romans and the Greeks did who were ruling the world at the time, right? They did not believe in Christ, as they call it, yet they used his birth date as the date one. See the contradiction? They yes. didn't believe it. When they say A.D. Anno Dominus, yes. right, they mean after the death of Jesus. When they say B.C., they mean before Jesus was born. When they say B.C.E., they say before the Christ is era. The Christ era means before the books of Daniel and Isaiah wrote about a Messiah coming. That's BCE. Okay. A.H., when you get past Jesus, up until 570 years after him, when Muhammad was born, okay? And then in the year 622, he established a new calendar, which was the A.H. calendar, based on him migrating from Mecca to Medina. And 
calendar. That's a lunar calendar. So you end up with like three different calendars. You have the Judaic calendar from Adam all the way down to Isaiah and Daniel and them. When a new period came in, they instituted a new kind of calendar. It went down to Jesus. When Jesus was there, the Romans took and made a new calendar and went back up to Isaiah and them about the crisis era. So you end up with, again, Adam's calendar, which would be from the birth of the prophet Adam all the way down to now. That stays the same. Is that 1,988? So 1,988 would be 1,988 years from Jesus who became the year one, which was 4,000 years from Adam. I follow you. Okay? So that puts us 5,000. I'm sorry. Short. We're very close to 6,000 years. Yeah, that's all. So if we came straight down from Adam, it would be 6,000. When we base it around the Roman calendar, start from Jesus, it only becomes 1,988. They did all this with it hopes to confuse us. Okay. Uh, one other thing uh, re- with regarding uh, the A.D. It says uh, in the back of this Bible here, it has a, a listing, a chronology, and uh, it has Jesus born in A.D. 7. I'm looking for it here as I'm speaking. And at the same time, at the, uh, at the uh, it has a... B.C. 4, I think it says. Let me get it right here. Right. The reason why, right, Jesus now, was born, you're right, in 7 A.D. Yes. And the reason why they say B.C.E. 4 is because certain churches believe Jesus was born in the year 4 because they didn't do the calculation of the death of Herod. Had they did the calculation from the death of Herod and when Jesus had returned back from Egypt when Herod died, right. they'd be able to calculate that he was born in the year 7. But when they just came along, they first said he was born in the year 2. Then they said, well, they proved it could have been 2 by the eclipse because they said they saw the star, and that was, you know, an eclipse. But it must have been 4 when they had an eclipse, and it comes down to be 7 A.D. He was born 7 years after he was dead, according to them. Yeah, right. That's, 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 that's what I found confusing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes it confuse you because here's what they do. Yeah. They say Jesus was born 1, I watch this close. He was born 1 what? B.C., 1 before he was born? Or one A.D., one after he was dead. They didn't know. So they got an area running between 4 B.C. and 7 A.D. They got almost 12 years caught up in there. They don't even know because they did not go to Egypt, find out in Egypt when Jesus arrived there with his mother and father, how long they stayed in Egypt, and then they came back to register at the ledgers in Jerusalem because it was time for the preparation of Passover. They had people, the census, make a ledger. So they would have got the date that he had got back in. They could have timed that by the date that he left as a baby, and they would have knew how old he was. They would have knew what year he was born, which comes out to be seven. They have another listing here, A, A U C. Then they have the word, uh, uh, the year 750. Uh, it says the following table made and making matters clear. I don't, I don't see how they can write that. Which means they created their own table to clear things up. The following table is made. They tell us like them saying, okay, according to our Greek version of it. This is what we got. Well, in, in just a minute, please. Uh, but they have here this A, U, C as uh, Anos, Urbis, Condinus, or something of that matter. It's, they go to Latin on you yes. and say that this is before Jesus' conception. That's what they mean. Okay. But then they argue about the nine months that Mary was pregnant. They, they get into things like the, the date of conception or the date of birth, the day when he was actually delivered, or the day that he was conceived. They don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know, like I said, because they won't take the simple message. They won't trace his life. And that's because they don't want to find out. They really don't want to find out when Jesus was born because it contradicts their doctrine. So then the true calendar would be Adam's calendar, is that, that correct? That would be the true calendar calculated from Adam straight down. 
So uh, that would put us in the year 5,988. That's right. Okay, thank you. Um, is it sort of like a man's goal to become perfect as Adam was in the beginning? Or is that is that's not possible? That depends on what you mean by perfect. You know, so it does tell us in the Quran that we're supposed to aspire to become salihin. That we should work to perfect ourselves and excel people in al-haq, which is reality, and al-sabr, and to be patient. It tells us to work for salihati, to make ourselves perfect beings, right? But that is only so we can prepare ourselves for the transition from human nature back into an angelic state. Because this is what Adam was originally, an angel. This is what Jesus said he was originally. He said, I came down from heaven. And that's where I'm going back to. He had to send it down. I'm going up. Jesus was an extraterrestrial. Christians just are trying to make him a God of earth. And he would tell them all the time, my spirit came from another dimension. You can call it what you want. He said, those are the earthly are earthly, and those are the spiritual are spiritual. Those from up there, from up there, and those from down here, from down here. Down here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us through the guidance of his prophet, mainly the seal, Muhammad, to try to be to perfect the way we live and Jesus said right before Muhammad that the first stage of that is to learn to love one another as I love myself we as people got to learn to love each other the way we love ourselves and then we can start to perfect the way we live but our goal or I should say your goal is to become angelic beings again by the time you reach the next realm you should have transformed yourself from a mortal to an angel. Luke 20:36 will tell you that. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. He's talking about at that resurrection. Jesus talking about. And remember, he said he is the resurrection, correct? And even in Islam, we're taught that Father Rasulullah Muhammad, after Rasulullah Muhammad comes, then the Messiah Jesus will come at the end of the world to save the world. That's what it says in Islam. It teaches that. Muslims try to hide. Because when that resurrection stage comes, man is going to have a transformation period. He'll never die again. He'll be transformed from mortality into immortality. You will become angels again. My whole doctrine is like the doctrine of the Essenes. The Essenes study the nature of the angels. I am trying to teach you all to take yourself from this stage of human nature to the next stage, to angelic beings, so you can make that transition. This is what it's called for. If you don't, those that are mortal will go down with the world. Those that are spiritual will make the transition from this state to the next. The hardest thing is to try to get y'all across the bridge of mortality over into immortality because you love the things of this world so much. And the things that I'm trying to give y'all are not of this world. They are from the Father. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And I am now trying to put that Father that's in me inside you so that you'll be in the Father. And that we all will be one in the Father. And then you will enter back into the domain of heaven. Without that, you are earthborn, and you will be cast into a lake of fire and sulfur with the devil because you love him and you love his image and you bow to the things that he offers you as opposed to the things that our Heavenly Father is trying to give us. And the thing that our Heavenly Father is trying to give us is salvation through love. And we cannot be individuals and love. Love is an outflowing force, and it has to interlock between beings. Everybody in that room has got to learn to love each other as much as they love themselves. 
you got to be able to look in your brother's eyes when you talk to them so that you have a sincere expression. You got to learn to feel people from inside out. You got to learn to care again. And that will be the first stages of suppressing your mortality. It is your mortality, your mortal being, your physical being that renders you such a carnivorous, self-centered, egotistical creature. But it's the Almighty who put his breath in us. In the beginning, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that he blew in the man of his spirit, or he said the word became flesh, and he put the spirit into man, that was angelic energy that is dormant in you. All I've come to do is to turn that, that light back on and let that light become the life in man so that when I see you, I see the prophets. And when I see the prophets in you, I see the angels. And when I see the angels and the prophets in you, I see the heavenly father manifested in you. And that will only be out of your love because it's out of his love for us. It's out of his love for the world that he keeps sending men into the world to try to teach you. It's only because he loves you that he sends his sons down to earth that they could suffer and some even die for you so that you could be saved. That's called love. You have got to learn to sacrifice. That's what it tells you. When har, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Inna Asinakal Kautar, Rasulli Rabbika when har. Surely, we have given you Al Kautar. Your cup is running over, abundant. So, worship is for the sustainer of the boundless universe and sacrifice. Surely, we have given you Al Kautar. Your cup is running over. Abundant. So worship is for the sustainer of the boundless universe. When her and sacrifice. And you know what? All those evil things will be avatar, cut away from you. They will not be able to touch you. So it's only by you people learning the true art of love and concern and consideration and appreciation for each other. When you touch a person's hand, you're supposed to feel compassion for them. When you look at a person's eyes, you're supposed to feel compassion for them. When you redevelop this, you're on the stage of transforming from mortality to immortality. As long as you're an individual living in your cubby hole in some part of the Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, or Queens, feeding your face and caring about yours and yours alone, when you see a bum on the street, you're supposed to give to that bum, because that bum is really you. And remember, we have sent angels to you many times in many forms. And a lot of times, an angel walks up to you in the form of a bum to see how compassionate you are in heart. And you say, get away from me. All you're going to do is buy some whiskey. Who are you to make that decision that he's going to buy some alcohol with it? The Almighty sends angels to you to test your compassion. You understand? Assalamualaikum. Um, Mamisa, what was the fifth veil that Michael the Archangel was under? They're speaking about the plagues that would come at the end of the world. Each veil holds one of the vials of the seven major plagues. All right? Mikhail is called the fifth because Jesus, as it was like Jesus, let me put it down. Adam, one. Right? Noah, two. Abraham, three. Ishmael or Isaac, doesn't make a difference, four, Moses, five, Jesus, six, Muhammad, seven, 
Each one of the seven major prophets. Each one of them represents one of the seven major seals of the book of Revelation because each one of them brought a revelation to the world. The reason why they likened Michael to five is because in the book of Daniel, Michael is a warring angel that defends all Israel. You follow that? Can you repeat that once again? You have seven major prophets from Adam to Muhammad. Uh -huh. And you know their name. Yes. Moses is the fifth. In the books of Daniel, whenever they speak about the angel Michael, he's always associated with the children of Israel as a defending, warring angel, the head of the archangel. You understand? I understand. That's the fifth veil. Then after that, Jesus came. Michael did not come with Jesus. Gabriel did. And then after Jesus came, Michael was sent to signify the teachings through John. The father of Jesus, so everybody would think that Michael was Jesus when he came, but he wasn't. He said, Jesus said, I'm sending my angel to you. He sent Michael to represent. Because that they were expecting Jesus to be a warring angel to smash Rome and put Israel on top. And he didn't do that. Okay? Okay. Salaam alaikum. Shukran. Well, I have a question. In terms of a um, person's soul, how do you strengthen your soul? The thing about the soul and being strengthened. It's a very strange kind of question, believe me. It's a good one, though. Because in the Bible, in Genesis, we got to acknowledge that the soul we have came from the Heavenly Father. We really can't strengthen the Heavenly Father. Okay. We can increase the amount of His presence in our body mm -hmm. by decreasing the amount of things that we worship and desire. Because He said, I blew into man of my spirit, and man became a living soul. You see what happened? Mm -hmm. So He took a physical body, and blew his spirit in it, and it developed his emotional body, which we interpret as soul. Then what we did, once we became a being that had body and soul, we started taking in impressions from a wicked being that stimulated our desire center and made us desire more things of this world than the world to come. And that's why Jesus kept saying, my things are not of this world. Start looking for the next world. But a way to strengthen the present is not by strengthening it, it's by increasing it. By increasing the divine in you, the good that you do. And every time one of us gets close together, there's twice the presence of the mm -hmm. Most High. And that's how. Mm -hmm. We are strength. And the more of us that get together, the more powerful we are. Like I said, we tore down the walls of Jericho just out of our unity. To see which men are developing the discipline necessary to regain the right to be in the presence of the Most High. Mm -hmm. So when they say it's, it's a spiritual growth, the spiritual growth is coming from the discipline, being able to have access to food but don't eat it, mm -hmm. to have access to your, a loving wife and don't have sex, mm -hmm. to be thirsty and don't drink water. You know why? Because these are the gifts of the Father. All the other stuff they add in was the devil when they say, and Muslims don't smoke in Ramadan. Mm -hmm. Muslims don't smoke at all. You know, they don't smoke in Ramadan. Then they have another super witness Sunni say, and don't use foul language in Ramadan. Muslims ain't never supposed to use foul language. How are they going to use that? So the devil always gets in there. You see what I'm saying? So Ramadan is, it is a focal point on the physical part of man, for man to show that he loves and will obey the Creator up and above his own desire. That is the point of Ramadan. Yes. My other question is, in terms of the, the spiritual discipline, how do you go about it? Where do you start? We've had time, I, I remember um, another question that I asked about a year ago, in terms of my aura, 
Um, I've never seen it as strong as I thought at that one point, and I still haven't learned how to control it. Okay. In a hospital, I usually think that you have to see them. In a hospital, if I walked up to you and you were bleeding, mm -hmm. now you're bleeding, and I walk up to you in a suit and a tie, a black suit, white shirt tie, and I say, uh, give me a needle and thread, I want to sew this lady up here. What would you say? No. You say, wait a minute, are you a doctor? Mm -hmm. I, I say, yeah, I'm a doctor. Now, but if a white guy, and, I, and this ain't white or black, this is just any person, if he walks up to you in a white suit with a doctor's symbol on it and said, give me a needle and thread, I want to sew this lady up, you wouldn't question Step one there is the mask that the actor wears should be coming face. In order for you to get the full spiritual benefits, you must get the physical thing organized. And I say that because a lot of people like to say, the Almighty only has what's in your heart. And I say, oh, yes, yeah. but if he didn't care about what's on your outward appearance and what you take in, he wouldn't have put him in books. He would have put it in your head. He put the revelation and the scriptures in physical things, and he named it two things. He called it kitab, which means to write, and he called it ikra, or Quran, which means to read. Which one must we do first? Mm -hmm. We must write, have to write the what we're going to read. Okay. So therefore, there's certain things that we need to write. For instance, in your right hand, you're holding a pen. Mm -hmm. And you need something to write upon. Mm -hmm. These two things come from the physical world. Mm -hmm. what, you get, what you're thinking from the spiritual world transformed on the paper, then you're utilizing the spiritual. But where did you start from? You started from the physical. You understand? Yeah. That's how he expects us to be. He expects me and you to get ourselves together physically. To prepare ourselves. That's why he told Moses, take off them shoes. This is holy ground. In other words, to get the full benefit of what you're supposed to do, you're going to have to obey the law. You mm -hmm. can't evade the law. And in the law, there's a dress code, a living code. Jesus said that. Not one jot, nor one tittle shall be removed from the law. Mm -hmm. But we don't want the law. We want to go straight to the spiritual aspect without the law. He told me we can't do it that way. We've got to do it the way it's been prescribed. No alteration. So the problem you're having with getting further and further spiritually is you got all the tools except total submission. Mm -hmm. Total submission to the will of Allah. You want to somewhat submit or work your way into it, and he doesn't bother. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to bother with us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he put it in a book because he wanted you to get the physical part first, then read it, and understand what he's trying to tell us to do. And if you got this desire for the spiritual, that means that there's a spirit knocking on the door trying to get you into it. That's your interest in it. But you got to meet him more than halfway. Because he met me and you more than halfway. Aren't you healthy? Mm -hmm. And that's a gift nowadays with all the people that are not healthy. So he cared a heck of a lot about you as an individual. Just it's all working limbs, all work, your eyes, ears, and everything is working. He gave you already 75%. He's asking for 25 And we can't wrestle with him with it. We've got to submit you know what I'm saying? But a lot of us believe that we could do a lot more from the outside than the end. I got things I want to finish in the world first. I got my family I got to take care of first. I got to finish my education first. Who are we talking to when we say this? You're not talking to me. You're not talking to the book. We're talking to the Heavenly Father. We're saying to him, Heavenly Father, I understand what you said I should do in the scriptures, but I got things that I got to finish doing on earth first. And then I'll be ready to totally submit. Then can I come to heaven? That's what we're really doing. We're fathering with him. And we're not in a position to bargain no more. 
We were in a position in the garden. That's why he confronted us and said to Cain, uh, where's our brother? He didn't have to. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? Look at each other, though. That he knows the day that you eat the fruit, you shall surely die. But when she bit the apple, what should have happened? But did she? He was compassionate. Jonah, he said, Jonah, go to the Babylonians, Nineveh, Shemar, and teach them. Jonah said, I don't want to. Jonah got in a boat and tried to hide from the Heavenly Father. The people on the boat said, Jonah, I hope you can swim because we're throwing you out of here, Junior. Throw him in the water and a whale spit him out where he did not want to go. Is that compassion? The Lord, the Messiah, Jesus, said, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass by me. In other words, he's saying, oh, believe me, my son is really willing, father. My flesh is not, I can't deal with these nails. You Help me. And he delivered him from it. Is he not compassionate? Mm-hmm. He has altered prophecies at times, altered destinies, interfered with the flow of nature for man. Because ain't no whale can harbor no person in their body. The acid in their system would kill a person. But instead, he prepared a whale for Jonah. A catchword is in there. He prepared this whale. This is a special fish because the Almighty altered the very molecule structure of nature to make something happen specially. He destroyed the whole world, but he kept the root of man because he did it with water so that all of the fish, which are the mothers and fathers of mammal, would still survive. With all that he does, there is compassion in what he does for us. And then we try to bargain with him. I'm going to become Muslim soon. I'm going to take my child. And he's got a few more questions I want to ask. Because he ain't asking me no questions. Because all I'm doing is quoting the scriptures. He's just saying, Lord, I, I'm with you. So far, things look good. That guy, uh, that guy, that new, that new one, the Imam Isa, he's doing good. I like the way he does it. I like this one. He did a good job. Now, if you can, if you can solve these last four questions a lot, I'll be in. <laughs> this is what y'all are thinking, but you don't realize you're thinking like that. You don't realize it. You're saying, you know, I got you know, my mother's sick. You understand? I got to take care. Like he don't understand your mother's sick. You know, like people say, my mother, you know, she needs help. Like he don't understand your mother needs help. And they don't realize when they think, when we're, when well, I shouldn't say they. When we're thinking like that, we're blaspheming because we're underestimating the power of the Most High just by saying, but I love my wife. I can't leave her. Like, he don't know that. I want my wife to convert to Islam. And I think that if I stay out in the street with her two more weeks, or maybe four, I might be able to convert her. Like, he don't know that. So in one respect, we're saying, Almighty, all-knowing Father, who knows everything that's in our hearts, who knows the secrets of our aspirations, right? It's you I obey, but I got one more thing to do. I know you understand when I do it, and that's make sure I get my college degree. And that's what we do. Now, here's the men's biggest con for you sisters sitting in there. I don't want to come to the mosque with nothing. I want to make sure when I come, I got something, because I want to offer something, because I don't want to come in and take away. Brother, stop lying. You use it as an excuse to stay in the street. And you know you're using it as an excuse to stay in the street. Because there's nothing you can bring we don't really have. The only thing I say, the only thing you can bring that we don't have is those Dunkin' Donuts. That means you. Everything else we already have. And all you can do is help us get stronger in what we're doing. So stop buying time and making excuses because there's going to be a day when you're going to be questioning. Because you're not evading me. He's not about, I'm not going in. It's not my community. I tell you the truth. I was, I was sitting out there in the classroom, but I'd have to make the decision. 
And I believe if I was sitting, I'd probably be making the same excuses. I ain't going in there yet. I got some things I want to do. First, I'm going to get it together in about six years. In fact, some brothers say, when the world going to end? They say, about how many years? 2030? Okay, I'll be in 2029. And 350 days. You can't play that game because it ain't real. And I'm telling you, that bargaining with Allah, you're going to be sorry on the judgment day. Because you made a bar, you're making a pact with him like the devil did. The devil said, you spite me, watch me to the day of judgment. Making an excuse for judgment day. And Allah said, you got it. So every time you say that, you know what you sound like? When you say, I'm going to come in, just watch me, Allah, I got to get it together. You sound just like Iblis when he said in the garden. He told Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, watch me until the day of judgment. Because I'm going to prove to you that man is not worthy of your presence. And we're, we're making it look that way. Because we're going along with the devil. We know we like the things the devil produces. Tell the truth, don't we? Mm -hmm. All of us call ourselves righteous Muslims. But they take that color television out your house, you sit on the floor and cry like a baby. You took my, took my video. You took my tape recorder. If you can't turn the BLS, you'd have a, a nervous breakdown. I mean, not everybody. This don't apply to everybody. But this does apply to somebody. We got some things that the devil has offered us. It has the best of our souls. He has us. And the only way we're going to break it is to break it. We got to take that chance. You got to make that move. If you don't want to come here, go somewhere else. But do something. Y'all organize a community. But just don't be scattered out like you are. Too easy to pick you off. And stop bargaining with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You really don't have the time. Nor do we have the credentials to make a deal with the Heavenly Father. I'm going to get it together. I'm going to soon as I finish this. I'll be in there as soon as I get... We don't have those kind of credentials no more. He was so compassionate and loving. You know what I, I say? I've been saying this for years. The white man fed y'all pork, right? And he fed you the worst part of pork. The gut, the ears, the tail, the foot. Not feet, the foot. The intestines, the bowels. He even brushed your teeth with the big fur. You know what I'm saying? He, and you wash your body with his hoof. But they used to make some soap out of pickles. While we were doing this to ourselves, the white man made a joke out of black people and watermelons. Made us look like it was a joke for black people to eat watermelons, only to find out that watermelons purify the stomach, keep the system flushed. And if the Heavenly Father didn't turn us into the rigid prior that the white person laughed at when they saw us eating watermelon, we probably would have died. The filth that he would feed us in slavery, we would have never made it this far. But the Almighty loved us so much that while he was feeding your pork, the Almighty was making us eat watermelon. That's why we're here today and we're able to survive all the stuff this man does to us. Because we have an everlasting covenant. Because Allah says about Ishmael, the name Ishmael means I will hear. Ishmael comes from Sama'at. It means to hear or to listen. I will listen. Sami Allah liman hamada rabbana walak alhamd. Sami Allah means Allah does listen to those who praise or are grateful to him. And for our sustainer is the praise. We say that in our prayer. And we are Ismail. He does hear us. Stop bargaining with him. Um, the last question that I have is just in terms of the end times and what you had said before that... Um, Jesus said he'd never leave us comfortless. How far does that go? It goes as far as us obeying his law. When we step out of his law, 
we are comfortless. People say, that means all of us. No, no, no. It only means people that are in the law. You understand? Because he gave us a perimeter to work with. You know, and it says, stay within that perimeter, and you ain't got nothing to worry about. And we think we can step out the perimeter and still get his blessing. And it's just not true. Here's a guy, you know the thing people in the hospital, ex-drug addicts or winos, they live in the hospital, they're oh God, I just got hit by this train. I know I drink and I know I smoke and I know I curse and I know I've been killing people and I know I've been selling drugs and I know I've been stealing everything and I've raped four or five people and I've beat up a couple of cats and, you know, I kicked this cat down the street, but oh God, please forgive me. And they act like they should be forgiven. And then, when they don't get what they want, they're mad at God. If they get what they want, if he says, okay, what did Jesus say when he healed somebody? Now go and sin no more. They come out the hospital, go right back into their sin. They bother Please, God, what do we do? We run to him when we need him. And we as human beings, put myself with you, I want you to feel this. We as human beings get mad when someone calls us and you say, my sister don't never call me unless she wants something. How many friends you got that they contact you when they need? And you say, I ain't even seen that nigga. Now he wants something. Now he's calling me. Uh, is that not true? You know, they call you three or four days before Christmas to ensure a gift. They call you on the phone and say, you know, uh, how you doing? How's the kids? My birthday's Tuesday. And you get mad at that, but you don't expect the Heavenly Father to be mad at you because you do the same thing. You get in the hospital and you say, oh, God, I don't want to die. I won't use drugs no more, I promise. And you only call him when you need him. What about now while you're all healthy? When you don't have no major problems, when you're not laying on a hospital bed, why aren't you praising him now? No, you wait until you are in some type of stress. Then you call the Holy Spirit. Well, you should be calling the Holy Spirit every day to be a beacon of God's light to you. Go ahead. Really, the white man thinks in his brain. He believes he's going to prolong all this long time. He doesn't have to. All he has to do is have more of y'all following him than Allah when the world ends. And that's it. That's his whole point to prove to Allah that y'all are not worthy because y'all will not come into God. He don't believe you're going to get destroyed. Oh, no. He knows the world is going to end. But he thinks that as long as he has more souls in his ledger than we have in our ledger, that he'll win. And based on what like the Quran says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. By that quote in the Quran, it says, Well, by the time when man stays separated from his body, surely all human beings are losing. Based on the time of the end of the world, man is in a state of loss. Except for those who amala, who work, to try to perfect themselves, scripture says. And they spend their time trying to bring people to the reality and the facts of it. And they have Patience and endurance in doing it.
People come in, can't stay because things don't go their way, or they're stolen, they don't want to protect themselves. And the Quran told us, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Well, it told us about that. Told us that man is going to be, when it comes time to judgment day, man is going to be running last. He's going to be losing the race. Because he's caught up for the things of dunya, the things of this world. And he doesn't even look forward to a spiritual life. He's caught up in taking care of himself in the physical world, and he's not even thinking about the God of the spiritual world. Um, my question is, if, if our purpose is to get back to the state where the Creator wants us, why are some brothers and sisters with the um, not being able to see the truth? Don't want to see it, don't want to hear it. Because the brother did a real good job. So the devil is the one who put the veil the on them. Yeah, the devil, the devil has done a good job of, of making them want to be what he is. And he's a failure. He's always, every one of his societies always looks rich and always fails. Rome, Greece, Mesopotamia, and this society here is beginning to fall apart. Imperial is falling apart now. You block the news. So our people are afraid as men to stand up on our own and build our own nation. We're just afraid to. We've been, been living under the white man so long that we we'll feel comfortable under his arm. We're afraid to stand up on our own and go for it. And we can do it. It's just the white man that put the veil on, on, the, on the eyes so they won't see or hear No, truth. Allah. Allah, Allah, Allah will seal anybody's heart who seeks disbelief. If you want to find a reason not to be a Muslim, Allah will help you not be a Muslim. I see you. If you want a Muslim reason to say, I'm going to find fault in Imam he'll help you find fault. I'm going to find fault in the community, he'll help you find fault. If you say, I want to find righteousness in the person, he'll help you find righteousness. If you look at the person and say, I'm going to find good in that person, he'll help you find good. If you look at the person and say, I want to find wrong, he'll help you find wrong. You, you can do it. Shukran. You have been listening to The True Light, sponsored by the original Tens of Kedar, located at 717 Bushwick Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. You are also invited <laughs> Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that He is alone and has no part? And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universes? All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend. And send salutations of Allah on all of His prophets and His apostles. And on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God. And on the Mujahideen, the reformer. Which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour. Airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WGAG Radio.
Radio.